I am uh, continuing my sermon series on the book of Genesis, and today we're looking at Genesis chapter 22, and I'm going to kind of break it up a little bit, so we'll be looking first at verses 1 through 8. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, father, and he said, here I am, my son, He said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How many remember the uh, TV show, The Wonder Years? Sure you do. Well, in one of the episodes of The Wonder Years, Kevin Arnold is struggling in Mr. Collins' high school algebra math class. And in his arrogance, Kevin believes that he knows the material better than he really does, which is a hard lesson for him to learn when he has to take one of Mr. Collins' tests one day. We're going to dim the lights and have you take a look. If only I could pull off a B minus or a C or a C minus. Okay, let's just take it slow and easy here. From the top. Question number one. Hmm, nothing familiar. Well, just find a question you know how to do and do that one first. No attention to that. Move right along to the next one. Took about four minutes to attain total panic. I was a drowning man looking for anything to cling to. Sound familiar? Look familiar? Well, now we're going to see how you do. I found an online test this week on the internet that's titled, How Smart Are You? Five questions. First question, do they have a 4th of July in England? 
Yes. And they also have one in Asia and in Africa and in South America. They... Question number two. How many birthdays does the average person have? <laughs> one. You were born on one day, right? So you have a... Number three. Some months have 31 days. How many have 28? All of them. Some have 30, some have 31, but they all have 28. Question number four. Why can't a person living in the USA be buried in Canada? You can't be buried if you're not dead. And the last question. How smart are you? How many two-cent stamps are there in a dozen? <laughs> I hear crickets. You don't have to do the math. It's 12. 12. 12 two-cent stamps. Make it okay. Well, friends, the Bible has tests. God tests the people he calls, and God, yes, even tests you and me. God promised to bless Abraham with descendants that would number the stars in the sky. But now it seems like God takes back that promise and gives Abraham the most difficult test of all. One scholar has written, the writer of Genesis is a sadist in which God is the devil and Abraham is a madman. Is that true? To be fair, this story pushes all of our parental buttons and makes us wonder about the nature and character of God, and it certainly raises a lot of questions. Like, is Abraham just a man of blind ignorance who would jump off a bridge if God told him to? Is Abraham a terrible parent upon whom we should call child protective services? Or, is there something else going on in this story to help us in our own life before God? Let's take a look uh, a little deeper together at this passage that has probably received more scholarly commentary than any other scripture in the Old Testament. I'm talking about the story about the sacrifice of Isaac. We already read from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 8. Now we're going to pick up the story and read 9 through 18. I invite you to follow along on the screen. It says, when they, and that means Abraham and Isaac, came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. 
The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you. And I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies. And by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves because you have obeyed my voice. And friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So verse 1 in chapter 22 says, After these things, God tested Abraham. One of life's inescapable realities is that God is always testing us. Testing seems to be a part of life. I've had parents of small children say to me, oh, John, please pray for us. This week, our child is being tested for admission in a private kindergarten. And it's almost as if these parents feel as if their own worthiness and their own effectiveness is being judged and put to the test. Well, friends, if you are someone here or watching and you feel like you're being tested right now, take comfort in knowing that God even tested his own son, Jesus, by sending him out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. We are a lot like tubes of toothpaste. It is only when we are under pressure that who we are inside comes out and we discover what we are made of. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, unfortunately, some people do not pass the test that God lays out for them. In the Old Testament, there was a man named Saul who was the king of Israel, but he failed his test and was passed over by God. And now here in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is being tested. And oh my goodness, what a test. God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And each of those phrases must have been like a dagger to Abraham's heart and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah to me. I don't know about you, but I think I can guess. As a parent, this passage sends my brain into overload and my circuits just melt from the possibilities because when it comes to my children I just can't go there I get emotional just thinking about it I can't even fathom the horror of what God is asking Abraham to do kill your son and you know it's not as if Abraham hadn't already proved himself faithful to God. Remember, we already talked about when we were starting our sermon series, how Abraham was called by God to leave his family, leave his friends, leave his familiar surroundings, and go to some place he had never heard of, and he didn't even know where it was to claim a future he knew nothing about, except that God would be there for him as his unfailing friend. But now here we are, this friend 
is betraying him in the cruelest of ways, saying, Abraham, take the son I gave you. After all those years of waiting and waiting and waiting, take your son, the only link to the promise that I made that you would father a great nation, the boy that you did not have a faith enough to believe in, enough faith for Sarah to believe that she would ever bear. Take this boy who is your dream come true and slaughter him as an offering to me. Mm. And Abraham did not falter in his obedience. Or did he? It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. Did you hear the sequence of Abraham's actions? Wouldn't it have made more sense for him to cut the wood first, then saddle the donkey, take the two men, and then set out on the journey? Listen again to what he did. First, he saddled his donkey, took with him his two young men and his son Isaac, and then cut the wood for the offering and set out on the journey. Maybe, just maybe, Abraham was postponing the most painful part, the cutting of the wood to the very end. Maybe, just maybe, he didn't want Sarah to know what he was up to because she was going to ask him all kinds of questions to which he had no answers. The point is, Abraham is struggling here. And this agony goes on, not for a minute, not for an hour, not for a day, three days as Abraham and Isaac travel to Mount Moriah. And then later on, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Did you hear that? Abraham did not say to his servants, I will come back to you, but we will come back to you. So either Abraham is lying through his teeth to cover for the sacrifice that he knew was going to have to happen, or, or are we witnessing deep in his soul a kind of flickering of faith, a belief that somehow, someway, both he and his son would survive God's test? We don't know. It doesn't say. Now, what if you're Isaac? You have to believe that he's getting a little bit nervous on this journey. In fact, in verse 7, he questions some of the odd things that he's noticing, and we read the exchange with his father. Father, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb for a burnt offering. Now, each phrase becomes very deliberate. And then Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. And I think we are meant to read the next sentence slowly and with a sense of great drama. Verse 10 says, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. And just when the tension grows to an unbearable level. So we have the tension of the story at a breaking point. And just when it seems like we can't handle it anymore, 
the angel of the Lord calls to him from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham. And then God says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up, it says, and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And then God reiterates his promise to bless Abraham so that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And I might imagine about this time, Isaac is kind of looking up at his father and saying, uh, you're only kidding about this, right, Dad? That, that, that was just a joke, right, Dad? What can we learn from what I'm calling in my sermon this terrible test? that has a Hollywood storybook ending. One thing we learn is that when we follow God, life is not always going to be easy. We probably all know people who expect the Christian life to be umbrella drinks by the poolside in which a young guy comes over and sprays a cool, soothing mist on your body and then takes your lunch order. I'm sorry, it simply does not work that way. And so friends, if God is testing you this morning, believe it or not, it's a compliment because it is through testing that God promotes us in a school of faith. I heard about a pastor who would on occasional Sundays give a rather unusual benediction at the end of the worship service. He would stand before the people, he would raise his hand, and he would say, may God deprive you of peace, but give you his glory. Sometimes God takes away our peace so that he might give us an even greater gift, the gift of his glory in our lives. I think another thing that we learned from the story that God will never ever ask us to sacrifice our children because if we simply conclude from reading this story that it's wonderful to love God enough to sacrifice our children on demand, then we are simply missing the point. We need to understand something important about the story and that is the context in which it was written. To help us to clarify the, the exact opposite point is actually being made. You see, in that day, children were sacrificed to the gods all the time. It was just business as usual. Think about it. There's no Israel up to this point. There's no law. There's no Ten Commandments. There's no sacred writings or scriptures. But the Jews were unique in that day in that they did not pay tribute to the God called Moloch, the God to whom children were sacrificed. And so we might imagine what Abraham might have been thinking as he trudges along with Abraham up that mountain. Abraham may have thought, well, I might have known it would come to this. All the other gods demand that their followers sacrifice their children. I guess Jehovah, Yahweh, is just like those other gods. But in that one terrible moment, in that one split second of time, God reaches down and he changes everything. He says, Abraham, hold on. Don't you even think about touching a hair on the top of that boy's head. God says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. 
And friends, that is where the power of the story is. It's not in the fact that Abraham was willing to end his son Isaac's life like so many people did back then. It's when God stays his hand. That, that powerful moment when God places himself between a parent and a child. Regardless of where you may be on the issue of abortion, reasonable people can usually agree that there are delicate and complicated moral issues involved whenever the decision is made to terminate a pregnancy. And sometimes one of the arguments heard is that it's up to the mother alone to decide what she does with her body. No one can tell her what to do in determining the fate of that little life that is growing within her. But the story of Abraham and Isaac teaches us that God places himself between a parent and a child. My position is that no parent really has absolute authority over the life of a child. In fact, in the Presbyterian church, during baptism, we take the baby out of the arms of the parents. That's a powerful, symbolic way of, of demonstrating God's declaration of ownership over that child's body and soul. So that at baptism, God makes that powerful statement as he shouts at the top of his lungs, this is my child. So as we see in the story of Abraham and Isaac, God, God does not want us to make a blood sacrifice of our children. In fact, God does not even require any sacrifice from us, but he provides his own sacrifice for us. And searching for an animal to sacrifice in Isaac's place, Abraham finds a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. And now we begin to understand a little bit more about the heart of God, that we worship a God who's willing to find another way. There is a God who will, quote, provide another sacrifice to set things right between himself and this broken world in which we live. So Abraham finds a ram in a thicket, and Isaac is spared. And overjoyed, he builds an altar to Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. I remember singing a praise song as a young person that had the words, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. My friends, God does not require us to sacrifice something as precious as a son or daughter to him. And yet, and yet, and yet, he willingly provides us the sacrifice of his son, his only son, the son whom he loves, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the Lamb of God. If you were listening to the story, you might have noticed that there are incredible parallels between the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jesus of Nazareth. Isaac carries the wood on his back as they climb the mountain. Jesus carries the wooden cross on his back as he climbs up the mountain to Golgotha. Isaac asks Abraham, Father, where's the lamb? John the Baptist points at Jesus and says, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in each story, a broken-hearted father remains at the side 
of his son on that difficult trail that they travel. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, can we not trust such a God to provide us all good gifts in him? Whatever may be your need this morning, please remember this. We worship the God who is called Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, some of us here today may feel like we are being tested and in our weakness, in our self-doubt, we are reminded of our desperate need of you. And in this vice-like grip of painful circumstances that we may be experiencing, we surrender to your will. Saying the words that Abraham said a long, long time ago, the Lord will provide. Help us to believe this. And then show us yourself and give us your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things you learn in study and preparation is that sometimes things are just really, really hard. This story in Genesis is tough. This is tough stuff, tough to understand, tough to wrap our minds around. And it does become a matter of faith. It does become a matter of trust that God's ways are higher than our ways, that God's plans are higher than our plans, even when we don't understand it. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't go forth in faith. That doesn't mean we should go forth believing that God is absent or that God is just pleasingly ready to trip us up at a moment's notice, that God desires to come alongside us and have our lives thrive as we live our lives before him. So my benediction today is going to be the benediction that I shared from the minister who occasionally would raise his hand and say, may the Lord, may the Lord give you peace and joy and love, but if the Lord deprives you of peace, may he give you his glory in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.